Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Let's see your hands up if you are a parent. Good, we got quite a few of you here. Nice. All right, uh, put your hand up if you are a son or a daughter. Okay, that should be everyone. Come on, I, know, I can't really quite see clearly to the back, but should have been everyone. Have you noticed, especially for you parents, you have seen in your children a little snapshot of some of the attributes or, or characteristics that, that you have in your children. Have you seen that? And as a son or daughter, you have seen, um, maybe to your horror, <laughs> some of the characteristics, characteristics and attributes of your father or mother in you. You've seen that? Yeah. Well, I have uh, five children, uh, three boys and two girls. The boys are all the oldest ones, so they're ten eight and six. The girls are four and two, nicely spaced out in this season. Planned it that way, as much as you can plan it. But here's the thing, my, my three boys, I have seen how they've taken on little pieces of me into their life. And for the, for the most part, it's completely subconscious. They're not aware of what they're doing. They are not like Walking, watching me like a hawk, and some things they are, but for these things, they are not doing this on purpose. It's just part of the nature of being a father and a son. So my oldest, he's 10, and he loves facts, all kinds of facts. Uh, he goes to the library and gets books about facts. Ripley's Believe It or Not, that's facts, right? Um, Guinness Book of World Records, that's a type of facts. But his favorite of all is the Weird But True books. And if you have read these before, they're put out by National Geographic. All types of facts about nature and history, geography, society, science, all those things. But all these facts are just odd and weird. It's exactly what a 10-year-old would want to read, at least my 10-year-old. And that's just like me in a way, because... When I was his age, I loved to flip through the encyclopedia. And, okay, now I didn't read every word. The pictures are mainly what I was drawn to. But this kind of, this thing about facts and information is still really something that's part of my life today. And my son has that in him. For my eight-year-old boy, uh, he is a very uh, linear thinker. He likes things to go from A to B, to C. And you'll probably see that in me as the sermon goes on. So he is linear, and I've been like that for my entire life too. My six-year-old boy, he hasn't progressed so much, and so trying to figure out how is he like me, I had to ask my wife, how is my six-year-old like me? And she said, oh, he's got your sense of humor. It is silly, it is goofy, it's funny, um, but he definitely didn't get it from me, my wife says. So he got it from me. And like I said, they're, they're not doing this on purpose. It's just the nature of the, the connection between a father and son. And 
You've all experienced that in one way or another in your own life. Uh, one of my coworkers, the Kids Rock director at North End Campus, her name is Alicia. And so she has a really unique perspective because she sees my kids on Sunday morning and then she sees me on Tuesday for our staff meetings. So I asked her, have you ever seen like uh, one of my boys do something and it just like snaps a, a memory of something that I did? And she's like, all the time. It's completely uncanny. On Sunday morning, your kid does this thing, has this mannerism, this uh, tone of voice, this phrase. And then I come in on Tuesday, and that exact thing shows up in you. It's uncanny. I'm like blown away. Wow, these kids are just like me, whether I want it or not. But in our journey with Jesus Christ, we are called to take on the attributes and the characteristics of our Heavenly Father, our God. In Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, we read this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Don't leave anything out of this, everything you do. Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Imitate God. Follow Jesus Christ. That is the basis of what it means to be a Christian. And yet that, that word, following Jesus, we use that all the time to describe this connection between us and Jesus. We follow Jesus. It's our lifelong pursuit is to follow Jesus. But that doesn't really quite encapsulate what we are called to well enough. Because you can follow someone well. You can go from point A to point B and just walk behind them. But this word imitation isn't just walking behind someone else. It's actually far deeper than that. Because in the original language, this word imitate was something else. But I'll tell you the English word that's connected to it is mimic, mimicry. Don't just, when we think about imitate God, the picture that comes to mind is mimic him, mimic his movements, mimic his tone of voice, mimic his mannerisms when he's engaging with the lost. Mimic our Father God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Just like my kids have taken on my attributes, you and I are called to mimic everything about our Heavenly Father. I know many of you were here for the Easter play, The Lion King of Judah, and we had lots of characters up on this stage uh, presenting the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus along the storyline of The Lion King. Lots of great characters, lots of great acting. The highlight for me was the character Scar. And the reason was because he has such a broad spectrum of characteristics on stage. From a jovial silliness to envy and anger and so much other stuff. For the play here on this stage, our friend Matt Povey, the youth director, was uh, Scar. Here he is. Look at that face. Oh, 
Only a mother could love. <laughs> but he put tons of effort into mimicking this character. I asked him how he did it, because I was kind of blown away that someone from our own rank and file here could pull off such a great mimicry of this character. He said he dug into investigating what Scar did, how he sounded, his cadence of his talk, and all of that. And the way he did it was watching movies. I mean, we know Lion King, the the cartoon version, the live action version. And if he didn't watch the whole thing, he could watch clips on YouTube time and time again to really get everything that it was to take on the character of Scar. And then the most amazing thing happened during the play because he wasn't just Scar. There was a point where he sang a song by Guns N' Roses called Welcome to the Jungle, and he took on a bunch of other characters as well. So here he is as Scar and as Axl Rose, the lead singer for Guns N' Roses, and the guitarist Slash, and he just nailed this characterization of these three people in an amazing, well, one cat and two people in an amazing way. And he did it because he put the effort in to understand who these characters were. And it was amazing. And those of you who are here, you know what I'm talking about. We are called to imitate God. Imitate God. Mimic him in his characteristics, in his attributes. And here's the thing. is God's greatest defining characteristic. That one thing that is his most defining characteristic is his love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. God is love. It defines all of who he is. Now, for me, I know that people have said, Andrew has shown me some love, kind of. I know that people have said, well, Andrew really needs some love. And I, I don't think anybody has said, Andrew is love. Sadly enough... My character is not defined by love, but our Heavenly Father is. And that is our goal in mimicking Him, is that just like He is defined by love, that we too would be defined by His love. And the verse says that we do this because we are His dear children. And so if we are not imitating our Heavenly Father, then... Can we truly call ourselves his children? If we don't get this fact about mimicking our Heavenly Father, can we really be honest with how we are claimed to be his children? You know, being a Christian isn't just a label we can put on our chest. Hello, my name is Christian. It's not just a chain that we put around our neck as a symbol of our devotion to Christ. But being a Christian... Mimicking God is something that affects the way that we act, we behave, every day and every way. And so to dig into what this means, to to mimic God, to imitate him, we're going to ask these three questions today, and we'll also answer them. But these three questions are this. Where do we start? This whole loving Jesus business, where do we start? Who do we love and how do we love? So where do we start? You know, our, uh, left to our own devices, you've probably seen the world around you. And you don't need me to say how 
hopeless we are if we just try to love out of what our own human hearts can give. And in fact, like, I don't know about Charles Darwin, how much he got right or wrong, probably leaning towards the idea he mostly got things wrong. But the fact that he had an idea about survival of the fittest, that we are drawn to seek our own benefit at the cost of other people, to set ourselves up for our own well-being above others, survival of the fittest, that seems to fit pretty closely with the way I see our human nature, our selfish nature. But that's our human nature. And we need to get somehow from that human nature to the holy nature. And how do we do that? We do that by accepting and experiencing the love of Christ for ourselves first. We start by accepting and enjoying Christ's love for us. Dr. Doug Weiss has a quote like this. The seed of our love is Christ in us. The seed of our love is Christ in us. We need to experience Christ's love before anything good can sprout up, can grow, and we can give that fruit to the people around us. You know, in your garden, if you want to have some nice red beets growing, you have to plant a beet seed. If you want corn rows growing over here, you got to put corn in there. If you want carrots, carrots, you know how this works, right? If you want donuts, then you're going to plant donut seeds. I'm going to try that one this year. I know, i got five kids to feed, and I'm pretty sure they're going to eat donuts. It's like this, uh, this one kid who, um, he wanted a pet. And he, uh, he went to his dad. Dad, everyone else, all my friends have pets. Why can't I have one? Can I have a dog? No, you can't have a dog because they're too much work, too much responsibility. They cost too much, and you'll have to pick up after them in the yard. Okay, Dad, how about, how about a cat? Nope, you can't have a cat because when a cat comes in the house, they think they rule the whole thing. <laughs> how about a fish? Can we have a fish? And Dad's like, okay, you can have a fish, but the aquarium is another matter. And we all know a fish without an aquarium is just lunch. So <clears throat> that didn't work out for him. So the boy had this great idea. Dad, how about I go count all my money in my piggy bank and whatever money I get, you can bring me to the pet store and we'll buy just whatever I can buy with my own money. And the dad, thinking to himself, he's pretty smart, agrees that he know, thinking he knows how much money his kid has. So he says, okay, we'll make that happen. Go count your money. Whatever you have, we'll go to the pet store, and you can pick something out with your own money. So the boy is super excited. I'm getting a pet. I'm getting a pet. Goes and counts all of his money. $4.25. But he didn't really understand how money works, so he was excited as ever, and Dad, chewed his word, heads off to the pet store with him. Now, when they get there... The kid starts off in the puppy aisle. No puppies, too expensive. How about kittens? Well, a little less expensive, but still too much. Fish? Well, he could have bought a fish, but the aquarium, again, is another story. So finally, the boy went down the bird's aisle. He's looking around at different options, and he sees the thing. 
He sees the thing that he, his, he wants, so he grabs it and he brings it up, up to the cashier, and he's so glad that he finally found this pet that he can have with his own money. He throws it down onto the cash register area, and he blurts out to the cashier, so if I plant this bird seed, how long will it take for the birds to come up? <laughs> well, if you want birds, you're not going to get it by planting bird seed. But we are called to be true to seed. We are called to imitate God because of what he's put in our hearts. The Bible says it this way in 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave his life for us. Real love is shown to us by what Jesus did for each of you and me. And let me give you a a bit of a snapshot of what this really looks like, what this love really is, because that one word doesn't really do it fair. Our God is a perfect God. He is perfectly holy, He's perfectly righteous, and perfectly just. And so in His perfection, He cannot allow imperfection into his presence. And that's our sin. Because when we don't live up to his standard, we are imperfect. We sin. We fall short of his perfection. And so we are barred from his presence. But because of his perfect love for you and for me, he wasn't satisfied to leave it there. And he had a plan. Even from the very beginning, he had a plan that he would send his own son and sacrifice his son to purchase all of us. He would take the perfection of his own son, sacrifice him on the cross, and bestow that perfection upon us and trade our imperfection onto him. And Christ would take our punishment and bring us new life. That's the love that begins this whole conversation. Where do we start We start with accepting and experiencing the love of Christ. That brings us to the second point. Who do we love? Well, the challenge of Ephesians 5 verse 1 is that we are supposed to imitate God. It's pretty clear. Two words. How do you get that wrong? Well, imitate God That's a great place to start. But if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the the world, all of humanity, past, present, and future. God loved the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a sneaking suspicion that's not quite possible for me. How can I imitate God? Well, the key is to go in Ephesians 5 to verse 2. And we've read this earlier, but let's refresh our memories. Live a life full of love following the example of Christ. So, our question is, who do we love? But our example is Christ. So, let's answer the question, who did Christ love? Who did Christ love? And then we'll see, who do we love? 
The Gospels are full of stories of Jesus loving the people all around him. In great big settings, even way larger than this room, thousands of people, the Sermon on the Mount, feeding the 5,000. And time and time again, he went into these great large groups and showed them his love. But the odd thing is that in doing that, he didn't really gain a lot of traction with the people that he saw in those large groups. People saw him as a, a bit of a miracle worker, a wonder worker, and they basically just were following him around to see what kind of benefits they could get from him. They fed him once, maybe they can feed him twice. But where Jesus loved people in the one-in-one level, maybe a small group of three, if you really want to get big, maybe 12, that's where the greatest impact of his love was shown in those small settings, those intimate connections with people. Jesus loved the people that were near to him, that needed him. In our pursuit to mimic Christ, that's exactly what we need to do too. Look at our world around us and see who are we already connected to, who is near to us that needs Christ. And it's not always unbelievers. I mean, definitely that's a given. But I know that I need a touch of Christ's love now and again as well. Right? So as we go further into this sermon, keep that in mind. Yes, I'm talking about unbelievers, but it's also the people around you here today. So, who did Jesus love? You know, this kind of reminds me about this story where an old man was walking along the beach early one morning, and he was going down the beach, and far off in the distance, he saw uh, what looked like a little boy, and he was throwing some stones into the ocean. But as he got closer, the, the elderly man realized he wasn't, the boy wasn't throwing stones, but actually uh, starfish and sand dollars and all these animals that were up on the shore during low tide. And the sun was coming up, and so the old man was asking him, why are you throwing all these, these animals back into the ocean? Like, the tide will come up eventually. Won't they be Okay. And the little boy said, well, no, they're not going to be okay because the sun will come up first. They'll get dried out. They'll get baked in the sun. And not only that, but the birds will come out and and pick them up for their lunch or their breakfast. And so the boy said, I just want to help these creatures live another day. But the old man was incredulous. How are you going to be able to make a difference for all these animals? And the beach was long, a mile that way and a mile that way, with creatures all over the place. And the little boy, well, I know I can't change everyone's life. But then he stooped down, and he picked up one more starfish. And he threw it into the ocean and said, for that starfish, I changed his life today. So when you connect with people that are near you, that's how you can think of it. Don't think of the 300 strangers that you'll never see twice in your life. Think about that one person that's right in front of you that you have some connection with that you can show the love of Christ with because it can change your life 
not only in that day, but for all of eternity. As I was looking into Jesus' life, I saw that there were four areas of, um, of connections, really. Spheres of engagement where he saw people that were near to him that needed him. And the first is the relational sphere. People that he's related to, his family. And the place that this usually takes place for us is in our homes, or maybe in the, the homes of your parents, or some extended family. Jesus showed us his example of loving a family member in this. That while he was hanging on the cross, he saw his mother weeping before him. And in his culture, it was the duty of the eldest son to care for the mother in her old age, to support her, to look after all her needs. But there he was, dying on the cross. And in an act of love for his mother, he also saw his disciple John beside her. And he bestowed that responsibility, that duty to care for his mother onto his disciple John. He cared for his mom, loved her, even with one of his last dying breaths. So think of someone in your family that needs a touch of Jesus. The second sphere is the vocational sphere. Think of this as the work school place. This is where you spend most of your time outside of the home, often with the same set of people. And for Jesus, I see Nicodemus as one of his co-workers. They wouldn't have worked for the same company, per se, but they were part of the same type of work. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a religious leader in Jerusalem. And Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, people, a, a man where people sat at his feet to be taught the rules of life. So they were in the same line of work. But Nicodemus sought after Jesus for answers to questions that were just driving him crazy. Questions about the kingdom of God and who Jesus really is. And when Nicodemus connected with Jesus, Jesus saw him, recognized that he was near to him and he needed him. And Jesus provided the answers that Nicodemus needed that day. The third sphere is the locational sphere. That place where you live, your neighborhood. Maybe it's someone in your condo that you see carrying their groceries up the stairs, if you don't have an elevator, I guess. Maybe it's the neighbors that walk their dog past your front window four times a day and you still don't know their name. Maybe it's that family that rides their bike on the weekends, the locational people. Maybe they're the person right on the other side of your fence and you still have never introduced yourself. They are near to you in a very literal, practical sense, and they need Jesus too. For Jesus' example, this is a story from Luke 8, where Jesus was on the far side of the Sea of Galilee, doing some ministry in the pagan world. And then it says, he came home to his own town. 
and a man named Jairus met him, a leader in the synagogue. Now, I think that in the fact that they used his actual name, Jairus, means that in some ways he was familiar to these people, to Jesus, familiar to the author of this book. Maybe Jairus knew Jesus long before he set out on his ministry. But in this moment, Jairus needed Jesus desperately because his daughter was dying and there was no hope in this world except Jesus. So think of people around you in the locational sphere who need Jesus. And the fourth, the final piece is a recreational, recreational sphere. This is your friends, people you hang out with, people that you are maybe on a team with, sports team or a hobby group, leisure activity. For Jesus, I think this example was uh, Zacchaeus. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, they were in Jericho. And for whatever reason, Zacchaeus really, really wanted to connect with Jesus. So much so, in fact, that he climbed the tree. I don't know. Maybe he was short. Maybe he couldn't see above the crowds. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? So he climbed up a tree and saw him. There's the guy I want to connect with. There's the guy who has the answers to my problems. And Jesus looked up, and he... Okay, this is a bit of a paraphrase, but... Jesus said, there's a guy who knows how to party. He's got all the money in the town. He's a tax collector, so he's ripping people off left, right, and center, and keeping the profits for himself. Got all the money. He's got all the rowdiest friends. None of the respectable people would hang out with him. There's a guy who knows how to party. And Jesus knew, this is a guy who's in my recreational sphere... Okay, clearly he didn't use those words. But he was ready to hang out with this guy. And Jesus didn't even wait for an invitation. Oh my goodness, how rude, Jesus. What were you thinking? He walked up to Zacchaeus and said, Hey, buddy, I'm coming to your house as a guest tonight. That was exactly what Zacchaeus wanted and needed. And that night, as Jesus met with Zacchaeus and all these crazy people... Jesus changed their lives. Zacchaeus began to think about how he's treated others, and he pledged to give back so much more money than he ever stole. And Jesus said of Zacchaeus and his household that this is a place that salvation has come today. See, when we love people that are near to us and need Jesus, it's not just about this need in this moment. It's about the eternal story. It's about the effect that you can have because you have Jesus' love in your heart and you can bring that as a gift to someone else. So who do we love? We love the people near to us that need Jesus. Which brings us to the third question, which is how do we love? How can we love like Jesus The first thing we see is that his love motivated him to a sacrificial life. And in Ephesians 5, verse 2, we read, 
He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Loving like Jesus isn't just run-of-the-mill life. It's not just a little bit here and a little bit there. It's not for the chicken-hearted. It's for people that are willing to step out in courage, for people that are willing to be a little bit bold. But each and every one of you has the Holy Spirit dwelling in you to empower you to do this. You've experienced Christ's love. You know what it feels like, and you can bring it to someone else. This love is sacrificial. It requires guts. Because, like I already explained, it's so easy to get caught up in what is just best for me. How can I improve my own situation? How can I further my well-being? But we need to flip that on its head and ask, how can I be part of lifting others up? How can I increase the well-being for other people, even when it can cost me? That's the challenge. How many of you are uh, fans of Friends TV show? You see in every single episode. Okay, a few of you. Well, there's one episode that's called the one where Phoebe hates PBS. And Joey and Phoebe are having this conflict about whether anyone can do a good deed without getting something in return. Joey here, he has got great aspirations to be a star, an actor, and so he signs up to be on this telethon to add another line to his portfolio, get his face out there on the screen one more time. So he's doing something good, but he's definitely doing it with the intention of getting something in return, right? Phoebe says, that's not a good deed because you're doing it for selfish motivation. And so he says, well, you can't do anything good. You can't love other people without getting something in return. It's just impossible. So Phoebe sets out to prove him wrong. It's absolutely possible to do something loving and not get anything in return. So she goes and, and rakes her neighbor's leaves. She's feeling so good about herself. And then all of a sudden, her neighbor opens his doors, brings cider and cookies. She's enraged. How could you do this? Do something good for me. I was doing something good for you. Then she goes to a local park and lets a bee sting her. Those of you who know, you're already getting it. Well, she calls Joey and starts bragging, I did something so good and it hurt so bad. I let a bee sting me. And he breaks the truth. You know that bee probably went off and died somewhere, right? Ah, her plans foiled a second time. But then... The third time is the charm, right? She pledges $200 to the telethon that Joey's working at. And she's so upset because she was saving that $200 for a hamster. She gave up it all to pledge to PBS, which by the title of the episode, you know she kind of hates. Something she didn't want to do, but it was good, so she did it. She was happy, I guess you could say, with her sacrificial love. 
And just then the announcer for the telethon comes into screen and says, we reached a new record for the PBS telethon today, all thanks to a $200 donor from this phone over here, from Joey's phone. Who is that donor? It was Phoebe. And then everything goes out the window for Phoebe. She can't imagine how everything she's done good comes back in some good way. But here's the thing. It's not really about what you get in return. It's about the intentions of your heart. Did she do some of those things to bless others? You know, she probably wouldn't have had those words. But the things that you do... It doesn't matter if you get something good in return. What's the intentions of your heart? Are you intending to lift others above yourself, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it puts you out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to do something good for another person simply for the fact that you can be a pleasing aroma to God? That is what Ephesians 5, 2 says about Jesus. He lived sacrificially, as a pleasing aroma to God. Make that be your purpose. Make that to be your highest end. But how does this loving people look in your day-to-day life? And that's a good question, right? And we've been challenged to look at the life of Jesus. But living a life of sacrificial love is very specific to you and the people around you. I can't tell you exactly what you need to do. But if we look in the Gospels, we see Jesus' love. And we look in the epistles and we see how some of his disciples and followers summed up his life in very nice, neat packages. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe a financial gift or a gift of some other resource that goes beyond what you'd normally give and actually has the capacity to set you back a bit? Is that something that God is asking you to do? Maybe it is to befriend that person at your workplace that usually eats their lunch on their own. Befriend them because Jesus made you his friend. Maybe this love looks like being a peacemaker In a situation where two people are just full of tension and there's no peace, can you step in between and bring peace? Maybe this love looks like prayer. I know I'm guilty of it. I'll tell someone, I'll pray for you, and then walk away three seconds later and forgotten completely all about it. Do you know how much it means to people when you stop and actually pray for them in the moment? Even if they're not believers, one thing they understand is that you think your God is almighty. You think that your God can do something in their lives. And really, there's no greater gift than stopping in that moment and inviting God to work wonders in their situation, in their life. Maybe this love looks like listening to people. Listening to someone you find difficult to listen to because they're hurting, because they're in a tough spot. You'd rather just mind your own business on your phone, that new app. Listening to someone with your heart instead of your ears. 
There's so many examples of how we can love people well with the sacrificial love that Jesus showed to us. There's one final way that we can love others, and it's inviting people to this place, the church. If you look beside you, there's a really good chance there's a seat open in front of you, beside you, maybe behind you. Just have a look right now. Look around. Look around. Is there an empty seat? Someone you know from your life can fill that seat. This invitation works best after there's a huge amount of other love that you've showered on them and you invite them to church and it's just that peace that they need to bring things together. But that is a huge piece, an act of love on your part. Maybe you need to pick them up, offer them a ride. That's sacrificial. But it might be the only chance where they hear the gospel presented in a clear way that can change their life here and for eternity. So the answer to this final question, how do we love? We love by mimicking the sacrificial life of Christ. Let me close with this one final story. There is a friend of mine who uh, was, uh, she's a few years older than me, and so about 25 years ago, she's a single mom with a young toddler. And as she was going about her, her life, she realized she needs a job, and she needs a place to live. So she gets a job, her, she gets daycare for her kid, and she finds a place to live. But it's all expensive, and the bills are adding up. Her job isn't quite enough to cover everything. A co-worker finds out about her situation, invites her to be roommates with her. They'll cover costs of rent, share the bills, and it will be a better situation for everyone. And that was a, uh, an offer she couldn't refuse, so my, my friend jumped right in and took advantage of that. But little did she know, her roommate's parents were, were solid mimickers of Jesus Christ. And they saw this young single mom with this toddler trying to cover all these bills. And the grandmother said, how about I take care of your boy for you? Free of charge. I don't want any money. I just want to bless you. And again, free child care, especially all day long. No one's going to refuse that, right? I'm not refusing that if that offer comes my way. So my friend says, all right, let's do it. So she drops off her boy before work and picks him up after work. It's a great solution. As the years go on, the boy starts going to school, and it, it becomes like a before-school, after-school kind of program with this uh, elderly couple. Then at one point, the grandmother tells my friend that she's been sharing Bible stories with her, with her son, that uh, actually, if they would come to church, then the son would hear more Bible stories and be able to connect with other children that are interested in these same things. And my friend, who at the time was not religious at all, thought of it more as like a, just a community center kind of thing and thought nothing about it and said, okay, that would be good for my son. We'll come together with you. And through that process, my friend heard the message of Jesus Christ, his perfect love for her, and all that he's done for her, bringing life through his sacrifice. And she became a Christian. All because this, this couple, especially the grandmother, 
was committed to mimicking the love of Jesus in her life to the people near her that needed Jesus. So would you please stand with me today? I don't know whether, uh, where your heart is today. And my first point was that with this whole idea of loving well, loving like Jesus, we have to accept the love of Christ for ourselves. And so I want to give this opportunity to you. Maybe you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so I want to ask you just please close your eyes, bow your heads. No one's looking around right now. But like I explained earlier, each one of us is imperfect. We do wrong things. We don't add up to the standard of God because he's perfect in every way. But his perfect love desires that you would follow him and be with him now and forever. The scripture says, when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we are saved. And so I offer this to you. Today, will you confess with your mouth, will you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? Accept his love for you for the very first time. If you want to make this decision today, please raise your hand. No one is looking around, but I want to say a prayer with you in just a moment. Thank you. Jesus' love is so real for you in this moment. It's why we know what real love is, because you are accepting his sacrifice. So, everyone here, please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I am imperfect. And I've done my own thing. But today that changes. I acknowledge your love for me. In the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But not only his death. And also his life. And I accept him as my savior. I am a new creation today. And in the mighty name of Jesus, help me to mimic him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate what God's doing this morning. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.